In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, it's good to have you here on such a cold night, a little bit wet, but uh, thank you for weathering the storm. And I think what I'd like to share with you today is something about the life we are called to live, as you'd expect, but joyfully. We really do need to try to live joyfully. We always say, your will be done. We always say, we want to live with you, God. We're giving ourselves to you. We see a lot of that. But the reality is, how many of us do it joyfully and willingly? No matter what people say to you these days, because there is such a, there's such an anti-God movement an ethos at the moment that will say to you, God, religion, church, Christians, they're just more trouble than they're worth. Then you just don't get involved with them because you get controlled, because you'll be disappointed, because and lots of lots of things. And it seems like there are a lot of challenges to what we're going through and a lot of different things that God wants us to have, but the world deprives us of. There are so many things that God says to us, you know what, I've created you, I've given you sovereignty, I've, I've given you freedom, I'm trying to make you as joyful as possible, but the world is saying to you, actually, no, I'm not, and you're believing the world. Our, Lord is, our God is a God of promises, and, and we know that. And so when he says to us, and I will give you joy, and no one will take this joy away from you, that's a promise. That is an absolute, outright promise. It's like if I say to you, I'm going to give you X, and... I've got my hand out, and it's in my hand, and I'm handing it to you, and someone beside you says, actually, no, he's not. But, but it's here. It's here. It's for you. It's, it's created for you. This isn't something that is done accidentally. Our God is not a God of accidents. He's not a God of chance. There is God's will. There is a plan. He will never, ever enforce that plan on us, ever. He loves us, he trusts us, he respects us to the extent that he will never ever force a plan on us. But the plan's there, and it's up to us. It's up to us to take it. It's up to us to, to embrace it. I've told you before about, uh, what, 15 years ago now, when I, back in the Stone Age, when never, no one ever used to use sat-navs or... GPS satellite systems, and we used to hold big maps, and you have to, something called the A to Z, where you'd pull over the side of the road, and you'd, you have to go down a grid, and you'd look at where places were. And um, we sort of got conditioned to having a map. But the wonderful thing about, let's say, a GPS, right, is, is that it knows where you are, you put in where you want to be, and it draws a very simple route. It's an optimal route, it's the best route, and it draws it for you. Now, the minute that you decide to go against it, 
It's not going to have a domestic with you in the car, which apparently is one of the greatest causes of domestic arguments, is two things. Directions and temperature inside the car. Right? So, so it, it's never going to do that to you. It's not going to have a domestic. All it's going to do is just do that thing. See that the married couple look at each other and they love. Right. <laughs> so what it does, it says recalculating, right? It's frustrating. But in recalculating, what it does is it just picks up where you are and redirects you back to where you should be. And then you go off another road and it again picks up where you are and redirects you where you should be. It never grabs the steering wheel. It never forces you down the road. It never suddenly switches itself off and says, okay, fine, you're on your own. God is precisely like that. He's there to make us have that joyful journey of no matter how many times you go off that path, I'm still here for you. I'll still direct you. I'll still guide you. I'll still lead you because your destination hasn't changed. My love for you hasn't changed. My commitment to you hasn't changed. My promise to you hasn't changed. And even if you're somewhere else, then all of those things mean that I'm going to continue to be here for you. So what we need to realize is that we are of great value to God. We're of great value to Him. We are of more value than we can possibly imagine. But, in this journey, how much value is he of to us? And that's, that's the more likely scenario, that's the bigger risk. Not that God forgets us, that we forget him. And there's a beautiful passage in the book of Deuteronomy, saying, warning, warning us, saying, be careful, be careful. This is from Deuteronomy 8.12. It says, be careful that... When you have eaten and are full, when you have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when, you have when all you have has multiplied, that you forget the Lord. And that works, I think, for us, especially if, we want, you know, if we're going through those difficult times. And the thing about God is he doesn't mind being taken for granted. He would actually much rather us take him for granted and go to him when we need something and be with him because he'll deal with that. That is much better for him than if we decide to turn our backs and just go away from him. He is much happier being the father in the story of the prodigal son waiting for us to return to him and then seeing us from a distance walking towards him, and he runs to us. So God doesn't mind being taken for granted. God doesn't mind us going to him when we need his help. So yes, when, when things, if we, return, if we turn this verse on its head and say, okay, when you're hungry, when you have nowhere to live, when you have nothing, remember the Lord. Remember him. Pray to him. Put all your petitions before him. Make your petitions known to him. Ask, it will be answered. Seek, you will find. Knock, it shall be opened. That they're promises. 
And when God doesn't want us to forget him, this verse, this passage is not saying, actually, you know what? Don't forget so that I don't get cross with you because this way you're using me. What God is saying is don't forget me because I am what you have. I'm the source of what you have. And I don't want you to live in need. I don't want you to live vulnerable. Even if you are vulnerable, for my name's sake, you're going to be blessed. If you are persecuted, for my name's sake, you're going to be called my children. If you are trodden down, for my name's sake, if you are poor, if you are marginalized and alienated, for my name's sake, don't worry because I can overcome all of that and I will compensate you a thousand times over. But don't leave me because what the world has, I can give you. And if you don't have it, I'll give you what you need to compensate it. But what I have, no one and nothing can give you. And I don't want you to be without. What I have is only mine to give. Peace I give you. My own peace do I leave with you. Not as the world does, but as only I can. And that's the beauty of God. That's the beauty of him saying, don't forget me, because I know, and I'm, you know what, I'm okay with it, I'm cool with it. The fact that you remembered me when you were, hung, when you were hungry, and you had nowhere to live, and you had nothing at all, and you came and remembered me, I'm fine with that. But, when you have these things, don't forget me, because you need me by your side. I don't want you to be alone and vulnerable in this world. In this world, you will have tribulations, but be, be, be reassured. I've overcome the world. Yes, you will go through the, shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. But do not be afraid, because I am with you. So, we need to remember these things. And it's interesting that once we get these things into context... You know, once we remember these things and remember what we're talking about here and live these things, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 takes on a whole new life. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks. I was interviewed this week about the, the, the Libya martyrs. And um, there was a Christian radio station, and they said, well, if, if we're going to pray for them and for people who are in this sort of situation, what do you want us to pray for? What should we pray for? And I sort of used cheat notes. You know, not that I have anything written on my palm or anything, but the cheat notes of our liturgical prayers. And I said to them, liturgically, within our context, within our Orthodox Church, with our Coptic Church, when we pray anything, we pray with thanksgiving as a starting point. The prayer of thanksgiving comes right at the beginning. Ironically, even at funeral services, we start with thanksgiving. 
Why? Because we're giving thanks. The fact that a life has ended does, mean, does not mean we don't give thanks for it. And so I said to them, what, we've worst, what we must first pray for is them and give thanks for them for the example they have shown us. And that's just one thing that happened this week. But if you think of people in your life, people you've dealt with, people you're subjected to, you'll realize that there are people you want to give thanks for as well. People who may annoy the living daylights out of you, starting first and foremost with those who are closest to you. Don't tell your families I said that. But, but you know what? The people who are closest to us sometimes become the source of greatest uh, agony. But we've got to remember to give thanks for them because that's not always the case. We give thanks for their love. We give thanks for their commitment. We give thanks for their dedication. We give thanks for their sacrifice. And we say, Lord, there are also difficult times. There are also challenges. There are also obstacles. But I continue to give thanks for them because you've given them to me. And you've given me to them. And so rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God wants you to rejoice always. God wants you to pray without ceasing. God wants you to give thanks. There is a misconception of Christianity that's all about fire and brimstone, that it's all about um, guilt, that it's all about uh, being beaten down and being controlled. Whereas in actual fact, if you think of the message of Christianity, it's the exact opposite. It's about people being broken out of the bonds of sin. It's about a reconciliation with God and a reintroduction to His kingdom. It's about promise. It's about light in darkness. It's about hope and hopelessness. It's about life in death. That's what Christianity is. And it's very easy for us to speak about these things theologically and make them sound totally irrelevant. You know, I can do that. And I'm sure I've done it at times. And say, yes, but you know, salvation's important to you. And you think, why? How does salvation change my life on a daily basis? Because depending on how we deliver the message, we can present it either in the most attractive way possible or in the most completely irrelevant way possible. So if I were to say to you, you know what, salvation is important for you, you might say, why? But if I were to say to you, you know what, every day when you sin, when you feel like you're broken, when you feel like you've let God down and yourself down and people around you down, when you feel like you've made the wrong, wrong, the wrong choice and made a mistake, at that point, there is always a way back. That's how we make the Christian message relevant on a daily basis. On a daily basis. You know, when you, when you receive... Um, Safety warnings 
at any given time. It just doesn't make sense sometimes. Yeah, let's sit through this again. How many times have we been on planes where they've played through these things and you think just, you just shut down or you go to sleep or you're at a meeting now and every meeting now the people have to tell you security and health and safety announcements and you just shut down. But the once where you need that, it suddenly becomes relevant. And that's the Christian message. We hear about God's love all the time. We hear about God's forgiveness all the time. We hear about God's promises all the time. And we can make that somebody else's issue. We can say, you know what, that's okay for you guys. That's okay for you. It's okay for your life. It's okay for what you want to do. But really for me, it's irrelevant. What difference does that make to me? Or I can go back and say, well, actually, that's really relevant for me. Because today I felt like I made a horrible mistake and I thought there was no way out. But suddenly I remembered. Suddenly I remembered, in me you will have peace. Suddenly I remembered, do not be afraid, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Suddenly I remembered, do not fear, for I am with you till the end of time. And again, those verses, we can make somebody else's. You know what, it's like the fine print that you never read. That's how the Bible can be. That's how scripture can be for us. It's the stuff that's for everybody else. But the minute I realize there are real messages in it for me, that's when it takes on a totally new life. That's when it suddenly becomes very personal for me. Because God sometimes gives us absolutely everything. But we just say, well, thank you, but no thank you. Really kind, really kind gesture, really, really kind, but no, I don't want to. And that's why in Luke 15, where, where our Lord is sitting, looking over Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood? But then, but you are not willing. You know, even that, we're not, we're not willing to do sometimes. It's, it is incredible that often animals have more sense than we do. They, they have an instinct. They have an instinct for preservation. They have an instinct to continue their lives. They have an instinct for what keeps them safe. The, the chicks have the instinct to run under their mother's wings to keep them warm. Because they know if they don't, they die. When our Lord comes to us and says, here, I'm here. I'm here. Come to me. I'll keep you warm. I'll keep you safe. I'll keep you alive. I'll keep you protected. Now, we often will think, yes, of course, I want to go, but maybe tomorrow. Not, not, not today. You know, I'm doing, doing something more important. Something more important than my life. Something more important than my existence. Something more important than my peace. 
I'll, I'll do it another day. And sometimes I just say, well, thank you, but no, thank you. I, I've got other things to do. I, I have other priorities in my life at the moment. I, I don't want to, to do this. I, I don't want to be part of this. And as painful as it is to God, as painful as it is for Him, He still will respect that. He's going to respect that in me. He's going to say to me, you know, as much as I hate this, as much as I really want you to be with me, I'm not going to force myself upon you. I'm here, you know I'm here, and if we go back to the verse we just covered, I'm here, and I'm not just here, but I'm here, and I want you to rejoice, I want you to pray, I want you to give thanks, I want you to have life, and life more abundant. I don't just want you to have life, I want you to have life, and life more abundant. And that's my desire for you. That's what I want. Moving on to Romans 7. It shows the contradiction, the conflict we live in our lives. Because I'm sure I'm boring you all to death right now. right? Because I haven't said anything new. I haven't said anything that's earth-shattering. And as I was saying in a sermon last week, unfortunately, I can't recreate Christianity. The Christian message is quite simple. And you've probably heard hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons and Bible studies in your lives. And so I'm not going to say anything new. But why is it that we've heard hundreds and possibly thousands of sermons, and yet we are in the same boat as some Paul when he says, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. And what I hate, that I do. Simple English. He said, I just don't understand, right? Everything I want to do, I don't do. Everything I say I don't want to do, I end up doing. How many of us does that sound like? All of us. I'm the first of you, right? Impulses, weaknesses, sinfulness, um, things that we just don't want to do. You go to confession, you'll sit with your confession father, you'll sit with your guide, you'll make a resolution, and especially New Year. New, Year. New Year's Eve, I'm sure if we were to replicate New Year's Eve, like the stock exchange, there would be a disaster. Right? Because everyone goes into New Year's Eve thinking, I'm going to invest, I'm going to invest. And if you were going to invest on people's intentions on New Year's Eve, you would lose everything. Because come 1st of January, 2nd of January, 7th, if you've got real stamina, it all falls apart. Why? Because everything I want to do, I just don't get around to. Whether it's because my time is pressured, or I don't have the strength, or I don't have the commitment, or I don't have the support. And okay, that's one thing. One thing when the good things I want to do, I don't get around to. But what's more disastrous is that the bad things I don't want to do, they just come so easy. Maybe if we tried reverse psychology, it could work. Let's commit. Let's say, no, no, I'm not committing sin. Or let's say, no, no, um, I want 
to do what I don't want to do and outsmart ourselves into actually doing it. But it just doesn't work. Why? Because as we've spoken about before, there is a constant downward, downwards pull on us. Right? We are just physical beings. And in this physical, as physical beings, we are subject to a physical mortal world. Just as you know, the reason you are sitting on these chairs, sitting on these seats, and not floating, is because you are subject to gravity. As human beings, we are subject to gravity. We are pulled down. The fact that you, to get up out of those seats, need to exert an upward energy, and then walk because you have to offset the downwards energy is a fact of life for us as humans. Likewise, in our spiritual lives, there is a downward force on us just because of our humanity. We're weak, we're tempted, we're sinful. We don't have priorities right sometimes. And so life doesn't just happen. For me to overcome that, I have to exert an equal and at least, sorry, an opposite and at least equal force up. So I need to at least counter the desires, the carnal temptations, the things I deal with, the things I'm subject to, so I can keep moving on through life. I have to do that. But sitting around and doing nothing is not going to cut it. And that's why not only are we subject to these forces, but even more so the things we don't want to do, we end up doing, and might I say we end up doing them quite well. You know, we develop a flair. We, we, we do things so well, it becomes uh, almost a gift. We create different ways of sinning. We are so creative in how to sin and how to carry it out. And you know what's horrible sometimes? The fact that sometimes you want to do something and think, oh no, I shouldn't. And then you overcome yourself. And then you really want to do it and you think, well, I can't. And you overcome your situation, you overcome your settings. And then something comes up as a real obstacle, and you overcome the obstacle. We've all done it. We've all done it proactively. But our spiritual lives need to be just as proactive. I need to have in my mind that there are things I want to do, and there are things I don't want to do. And what I need to do is to work as much as I can at what I want to do and work as hard as I can against what I don't want to do. But I've got to realize that I'm not doing that alone. You know, when I started and said that those of you, those people out there who challenge Christianity will say to you that this is just a system of beating you down, a system of control. In actual fact, it is the exact polar opposite. It is a system of empowerment. Our Christianity is a way of empowering us. It's a way of setting us free. It's a way of giving us ourselves back, our freedom back. That's what it is to live a life of righteousness. Yes, I was shackled. Yes, I was in prison. Yes, I felt like I was controlled. But the truth shall set you free.
our Lord has come to free us from all of this. And in that, and knowing that He is there for us, knowing that He's there with us, is our absolute weapon in this, in this, in this battle. We're not alone, ever. That's the concept of the body of Christ. I, I just came today from Church of England General Synod. I was sitting in the midst of hundreds of members of the Church of England, from bishops to priests to laity, right? And I've been there with them for two days at Synod. And this is now my seventh or eighth year attending Synod, right? And it suddenly gives you scope of this is the body of Christ. As Christians, we're not just Coptic Orthodox, we're not just Orthodox, but we're Christians. We belong to something that's bigger. We belong to such an incredible support network and structure. Again, as I said, this week we were celebrating the anniversary of those 21 Copts who died in Libya. To have these hundreds of Anglicans stand in the middle of their synod for a moment's silence with their heads bowed and then praying for them and for their families, what kind of unity is that? What, what kind of support is that? We are part of something that is much bigger. The body of Christ, as our church, as the body of Christ, as the church of God, and in it, we remember what God's desire for us is. It is not for us to be broken. It is not for us to be weak or marginalized. It is, as we read in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And glory be to God forever. Amen.